Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, John. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by Meowbox. Meowbox is a monthly cat subscription box service full of surprises and delivered to your door every single month. And please be sure to stay tuned in just a minute to hear a little bit more about a special promotion just for the listeners of the two-man power trip of wrestling, courtesy of Meowbox and courtesy of Meowbox.com. And with that being said, my name is Chad, and we're going to hear from John in just a minute as we get to our plugs. But we're going to be really quick today, and if you're in the States, we're going to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. And to all our friends around the world, we also wish you a very kind Thursday afternoon, if you're listening to this in real time. And today on the show, we have a Bobby Blaze Smedley, a former Smoky Mountain Wrestling Heavyweight Champion, and this interview with Bobby Blaze was conducted a little bit earlier this year, and as we wind down the calendar, we're starting to get some of the interviews that we had not been able to get out prior, either because of a maintenance issue or just because of scheduling, uh, are going to now see the light of day, and we thank Bobby Blaze for spending the time with us earlier this year to discuss his book, Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boots, Will Travel. It's a fantastic book, and this is a fantastic conversation with Bobby Blaze, and we really do urge you to check out the book, and he'll give you all the details about that book at the end of the show. But we just want to say thank you again for downloading. If you're in the United States, have a happy Thanksgiving. If you're observing Thanksgiving today, please do the same. If not, enjoy your Thursday if you're listening to it in real time, and and thank you so much for coming. But I'm going to turn it over to my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz, to hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business tell you a little bit more about meowbox but first i'm going to tell you a little bit more about meowbox and when you head on over to meowbox.com and use the code powertrip10 in the checkout box you're going to get 10 percent off your first monthly box subscription again that's 10 percent off your first monthly box subscription courtesy of meowbox and courtesy of meowbox.com and we also want to say that we are now a part of the topropress.com radio network and please look for exclusive best of episodes and some very special things coming very shortly on the topropress.com radio network and john i'm going to hand it over to you now get rolling with a little two-man power trip of wrestling business and tell them more about meowbox yes meowbox baby they are the best they have a a little service called One Box Can, where every Meow Box purchase will get you a can of food donated to a shelter cat on your behalf. So that is excellent. Also remember, all edible items are made in the USA or Canada, so you know where your edible items are coming from. Now, if you have a picky cat like mine, Lucy, who uh, has a bit of a special diet, you can replace your edible items with toys and surprises, which little Lucy absolutely loves, and that is great of Meowbox. So just remember, folks, that is Meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off your first subscription. Again, Meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off your first subscription. And now on to some TMPT business. Chad, as you previously mentioned, we are now part of the Top Row Press family. That's right, Top Row, excuse me, TopRowPress.com. 
and the Top Rope Press Radio Network. We're a part of them, and we're giving exclusive best ofs every week on there. So please check us out there, and please check out Top Rope Press dot com for all your wrestling needs because they're the best in the business today also some more tnpt business like us on facebook follow us on twitter at wrestling pal and at two man power trip also subscribe to us on youtube you can also subscribe to us on itunes please leave us a review we'd love to hear your feedback also while you're on itunes check out the feed for past great episodes with the late great american dream dusty Rhodes, harley race ricky the dragon steamboat sergeant slaughter tully blanchard stan the larry hansen the blueprint matt morgan scotty riggs jerry lynn and so 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 many more so please check us out on itunes don't forget about the website tmptofwrestling.com that is tmptofwrestling.com and Speaking of another great sports network that we're associated with, check us out every week on the I-95 Sports Network. Google it up and check it out. That is the I-95 Sports Network. We're bringing best ofs and exclusives to them as well. So please check us out on there. Always some good stuff. Now, if you're interested in booking Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, a.k.a. Kevin Fertig, please email bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. That is bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. Just remember one thing, he's back out of exile and if you can check out the pictures of his transformation because he is looking huge he's back and he's in great shape and he wants to bring the bike club to a town near you so email us for all that booking information on the big man and while you're at it go check out the kevin thorne page on pro wrestling tees they're making the greatest t-shirts in the history of the wrestling business so please go to prowrestlingtees.com for all your kevin thorne t-shirts and you, too, can be a member of the Bike Club. And now I'm going to do my best impression of John. And that is, without any further ado, here we go with a little bit from a former Smoky Mountain Wrestling Beat the Champ television champion. That's a three-timer. Smoky Mountain Wrestling heavyweight champion. A Smoky Mountain Wrestling United States junior heavyweight champion. A Southern States Wrestling junior heavyweight champion. He's also been a Heartland Wrestling Association heavyweight champion. He is the man himself. He is Bobby Blaze Smedley. Please enjoy. Joining us tonight on the line is a well-traveled veteran of the ring. He's wrestled across the globe in places like Japan and Mexico and England and South Africa, as well as here in the States for organizations like World Championship Wrestling and Smoky Mountain Wrestling. He is also the author of the book, Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boots, Will Travel. And with that being said, Bobby Blaze, we welcome you to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, thank you very much for the kind introduction. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure to be here. Uh, thanks for having me on. Fantastic. So tell us about the book. What led you in all your years of, of wrestling and, and traveling, what led you to finally getting down pen to paper and writing the book? Uh, well, the big thing was get it down pen to paper. That was the main thing. Um, what led me to it was um, everywhere I went, it seemed like people would ask me, you know, like, hey, do you know so-and-so, or did you wrestle so-and-so? And they'd mention someone's, you know, name that I had been associated with, or they'd ask me, you know, hey, how is that Jim Cornette, you know? And uh, yeah, I found myself telling, you know, uh, some of the stories of, of different people I'd wrestled and people I'd met and some of the countries I'd been to and things like that, and um, I just started, you know, uh, taking some notes. Uh, I'd write something on a computer. I would, uh, I'd have a napkin, you know, from a restaurant, and I'd have an idea, and I'd write it. Or I'd be somewhere, and someone would mention something to me, and I'd be telling a story, and I'd come right home, and I'd get a pen and paper out, and I'd start writing down what I relayed in that story. And, and the realization of it was is that, um, you know, I realized people wanted to, you know, hear these stories. Uh, they, they would ask, and I'd tell them. And um, so that's really what gave me the incentive to, to write the book um, was because people wanted to know. Um, and I found an audience that uh, was interested in, in the world of professional wrestling, as, as popular as, as, as pro wrestling is. And, and like I said, the people want to know, you know, who you wrestled, where you wrestled at, and, and how it was in some of the cities and things like that. And um, I realized there was uh, people interested in something I had done with my life. Um, that, that's kind of how it happened. 
Yeah, the wrestling fan base is definitely a passionate one. We're always searching for more knowledge. We're always searching for more information. But a book is a pretty daunting task, to say the least. So did you go back and watch matches, or did you just go off of memory? Well, off memory, whoa. <laughs> I'd be saying in the 70s, probably. <laughs> I can remember yesterday most of the time. No, um, I have really good long-term memory. I have terrible short-term um, that's that's I have to write some of the, some of the things down that um, you know someone had just talked to me about or something I, I'd I'd make a note of it because I'm the world's worst for saying oh I'll write that later and um, and then forgetting what was I talking about but yeah to answer your question um, I went from memory on some of it but what I also did to get some of the wording uh, right you know uh, I, I did watch a couple of the uh, old um, like a Smoky Mountain. Uh, when I did the deal with Jerry Lawler, you know, I listened to some interviews. I actually listened to the match, and then I watched it. So when I wrote it, I can give a, a kind of blow-by-blow, if you will, of actually what took place during a particular match. So a little bit of both, um, but mostly uh, mostly long-term memory that, that, I, that I classify as good memories. Um, I knew the, uh, for example, when I had to wrestle uh, Dan Sever, and I remember the conversation uh, just as clear as yesterday when Jim Cornette walked in and, and uh, spoke to me in a bathroom about, you know, I got your book next month against Dan Severn, and uh, he had just won the uh, the UFC, you know, just uh, a couple of nights before, and I was, you know, whoa, what? <laughs> so some of those things, will, you know, stay with you um, that way, and then putting it down in the paper uh, was the main thing. And um, but yeah, uh, a little bit of both. I didn't go back and. Uh, uh, look at every match, but yeah, I looked at like the the Lawler and Landale and those matches. I looked at those so I can get them right. Um, some of the other stuff I just knew. Um, I'd taken notes, um, had a little journal. Um, you know, like I said, some things just jar your memory. I could be talking to someone and, and they'd bring up something, it'd jar a memory, and that, that's where I went on that. And I did obviously know what countries I'd been to, so uh, <laughs> yeah, I kind of wrote a story along the lines of each country. Um, I knew what took place when, that kind of thing. Was there anything that you felt, you know, looking back after completing the book, that maybe there was something you, you forgot to put in or something that you wanted to put in and maybe couldn't because, you know, might have uh, might have offended the parties involved, or did you frankly uh, not care about something like that? No, I, I cared deeply uh, about the, the some of the stories. Um, let me answer that uh, twofold. One, I didn't put the book out there to trash talk or, or give anything, any dirt on anyone. I certainly didn't want anyone to, uh, you know, people that uh, maybe I partied with or hung out with or, or seen guys do certain things. I didn't make mention of that because that's not my deal. I try to stay real positive, and, um, you know, so I, I kept some of that out. Um, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that you really – you know, get real ballsy with. Um, I kind of put myself out there when it came to some of the things that, that I had done. I didn't mention, you know, the other parties involved. With that said, the second part, um, yeah, I've actually got a whole bunch more stories. And, uh, in fact, I know 11 of them completed. I'm working on a second book uh, right now. Um, hopefully it'll be done soon. Uh, hopefully it won't take me as long as the other one took me because that one took me about four years. This one, I'm working on this one now for the last couple of years. Um, yeah, I've got a lot more stories to share, and also I am going to more um, some more liberties, if you will. I will be mentioning some things again, not spreading dirt, but some more behind-the-scenes uh, things that take place. You know, uh, for example, you know, being the designated driver uh, for certain guys and certain families, and and then sometimes, of course, obviously having had someone drive me around. Uh, you know, when you're out just having a good time from hotel to hotel or what have you, so. Yeah, um, or, you know, you saw people doing this or that. But, no, I didn't want to spread any dirt. Uh, I didn't really leave anything out that away. And if anything was uh, left to question, I, I made myself look like a dummy uh, and, and put the oak on me, you know, if you will. And, and again, I do got a lot more stories uh, to work on. I, I want to get about 25 or 30 stories together uh, with some fillers. And then um, but I have 11 of them done right now. So, yeah, I'm working on a second one. And um, I think they'll be just as enjoyable uh, as as all the feedback I'm getting from the first book. So yeah, there's a lot more up in this noggin of mine if I can just shake it loose. You know, it, that is uh, somewhat refreshing to hear. You know, wrestlers in his book not bash or expose. You know, some of the other guys because in a lot of the other books you see wrestlers, quite frankly, exposing 
you know, some other wrestlers with some bad yeah. stories or, you know, kind of trashing some guys. Well, you know, I, I'm still friends with a lot of guys in the business. Uh, I don't maybe see them all the time or hang out with them all the time, but, but you know, I know a couple guys that, that hold positions um, in WWE, and I won't drop any names, I'm just saying. I, I've, you know, hung out and partied with either Smoky Mountain or in WCW or, you know, just on the road with them. And, um, you know, some of these guys are married and, and uh, uh, cleaned their life up now and stuff. And if they want to say that stuff on themselves, that's fine. But to me, you know, I don't want to say, oh, I did this with so-and-so or I watched so-and-so, you know, do this to, to someone else. That's just not my deal, man. It's not that I didn't want to have a heat of anyone. Um but uh, I, I saw no need in that because because exactly what you said. I think too many other people are out there already trash talking guys, and the business a lot of time gets a black eye anyway for some of the stuff that goes on, um, you know, outside the ring. At that, you know, hey, you're just you're you're a bunch of guys. You're in a locker room all the time, and you're you're driving up down the highway. And you're getting an airplane together, and, and, and it's just going to happen, man. You know, um, and you get bored, so you know you play ribs with each other, and you. You you know sometimes you have a drink or two or or other uh, you know substances uh, enter the picture, but there's no use to say you know well so and so did this or he used to do that. There's enough guys out there trash talking, and to me, uh, you know wrestling was good to me. I loved it. I was a fan of the business, and and uh, I'll leave that to anyone else that wants to go out there and say you know bad stuff about anyone else because. Um, you know, there's people I could trash that I didn't necessarily like. And that's a very, very small list of people I didn't like. Because uh, I tried to get off everyone. And I made a lot of friends and a lot more acquaintances. But I got along with, with about 98% of the people I come in contact with. And that 2% I didn't get along with is probably because they was just on a different level than I was as far as their attitude. They just had shitty attitudes. And, and it wasn't just me. They didn't get along with 98% of the other people either. So, uh hmm. Uh, I'm not going to trash him, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Now, if I could rewind back to the beginning, how did you actually get started in the wrestling business, and who trained you? Okay, well, um, I was always a fan from the time I was a young boy, and um, I started going to local shows here. Uh, I watched it on TV, obviously, and um, I watched the old WWF when I was in Baltimore, and Baltimore, Maryland, and I moved to this small town in Ashland, Kentucky, uh, in 1969, so I'm giving away my age, and we started getting the Memphis tapes, and it wasn't until probably about 71 or so uh, I started watching wrestling again, and we'd get re- the Memphis wrestling here. And then they would come locally, and when they did, my brother and I started going to the matches at about, uh, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old, and uh, by 12, we was going to as many matches as we could, and by 15, I lived right beside McDonald's as a couple blocks away from the armory, any show that came here, and at that time it was thriving. You know, this was, this was 1976, 77, 78, those years. And, and Georgia Championship would come. Uh, ICW, the Popos would come. And then the Memphis uh, guys would come. So we had a lot of wrestling in this area. And I'd go over and we'd set up the ring. And uh, no one smarted me up, that's for Dagon, sure. But we got to be known as the hamburger guys. Uh, there's some boys that buy us hamburgers and coffee. We'd run errands for the guys. We'd go get soda pop for them or go get a, a hamburger at McDonald's for them, you know, and, and set the ring up. Of course, we'd get it free if we did that. And so we was always hanging out there. But um, finally, and I, I decided at 15, that's what I wanted to do. Of course, I had to finish school. And I went to college for a couple of years. And finally, um, I, you know, I was training. I got, you know, I, I done some wrestling, um, just at a YMCA, and always uh, liked it. But I started. I was always skinny, so I lifted weights and I ran and did all that stuff. But I, I wrote a, I wrote a bunch of promoters around the country, uh, trying to get into business. And I had a guy around here help me get in on about ten shows, um, saying he had trained me. And well, he really didn't smart me up that much. But I went to these shows, um, and I was about 21, 22, and um, I was like, you know, uh, okay, we're having these matches. We've basically beaten hell of each other because, again, he never smartened me up. Uh, no airlock room smartened me up. Uh, we was having street fights is what he called them. Uh, but we, I was booked nonetheless. But anyway, I was in a match uh, with uh, someone that showed a main event, and it was Betty Landell and his partner, who I can't remember who it was that night, but they were supposed to wrestle Hector Guerrero as Lasertron and Jimmy Valiant. And Buddy said, put that boy right there with me, and we'll go out there. 
And, uh, well, I knew I was green as can be, but I, I was on the apron, and what happened was I realized, holy cow, these guys are working. I, I, didn't, know, I didn't know what the working, working was, you know. I knew it was a business. I knew that much of it. I just didn't know to what extent. But I saw how he worked, and I knew I needed to get trained professionally. And during that time, I had received a letter uh, from uh, Professor Boris Malenko's camp in Tampa, Florida, and I packed everything I had. I wrote them, called them, and all that way back before email and all that. I was on snail mail. They sent me some flyers and brochures, and I packed my bags, and I went to Tampa, Florida, and Professor Boris Malenko at his school helped train me. And after about four months, Dean Malenko came uh, there. He wasn't there at the time. Him and his brother Joe had been in Japan um, quite a bit during this time. Um, and then uh, Dean started coming back to the school and helping the students. And Dean, I can't emphasize enough how much Dean started really helping me, you know, in my early training. But at this time, you know, I already knew it's a business, and I knew I loved it. And um, they actually smartened me up. When I got in the ring, they said, okay, this is the work, you know. Um, I was in there, Larry or Professor Malenko told me, Bobby, you know, uh, you get in the ring with this guy. He put me in a uh, ring with one of his other students, an older guy, a veteran, and uh, he said, I'm going to call this match, and you do what I ask you to do. Well, hell, a guy would go to suplex, but I'd block it. He'd go for a monkey flip, I'd block I, I, didn't, I didn't know. I was still trying to, I wasn't shooting, but I, I sure wasn't cooperating, you know. And he said, relax, relax, listen to me. This uh, The guy's name was Mike Steele. And uh, anyway, a little small guy, but boy, he could wrestle and he could shoot if he needed to. I found that out. <laughs> but uh, but basically, you know, I was like, hey, this will work. And just listen. And he took me out back. Uh, after that day, and he said, Bobby, um, if you'll forget everything you've been taught or think you know about professional wrestling and let me start you at square one, I think, you know, cause I was always an athlete. He said, I think you've got a good look to you, and I think you've got the athletic ability to do this. Do we have a deal? And I shook his hand right there from that moment on. You know, he just really took me under his wing, to be honest with you. And I went to that camp four days a week two to three hours a day, uh, and in the meantime, I started getting matches down in Florida and traveling throughout, you know, that area until I, you know, finally, uh, the first big deal I got was up in Canada, uh, started making some money up there because I'd worked a crap load of independence, you know, throughout Kentucky and Tennessee and, and again, down in Florida. But, yeah, Professor Boris Malenko is who I contribute to, you know, my main training um, him and his son, Joe Malenko, and uh, and Dean Malenko, I can't emphasize enough how much Dean helped me because, man, that guy, he, he's everything. Um, you, just, you just wouldn't believe. Everyone here around the you know, United States has seen how good Dean is, but I've seen him in Japan, I've seen him in Australia, and I, and I was around him in Florida, and he, he was just so so smooth and so technically sound uh, and such a good mind for the business. Um, when you learn from someone like that, you know, uh, I would have been a dummy to not listen to anything he had to show me or teach me. So I, I'm really appreciative of who trained me, and that's, that's how I broke in. My first match was September 11, 1988, in Haystock, Virginia, against a guy named Rick Newsom, and that was basically a street fight. Um, and, but it, we stayed in the ring for some reason, but we just beat the crap out of each other, and, and I had a mask on, and, and I knew that much of it, but I didn't know to what extent, you know, um, how to have a good match at that point. I don't know anything about psychology, obviously, being that young and that green. But, uh, yeah, Maleko smartened me up real quick and, and helped me out so much. Um, and then I learned on the road, too, once I started working every night. Uh, when I first went to Canada, I worked seven nights a week and twice on Sundays. And uh, there was veterans up there, Leo Burke and, and Ron Starr and uh, 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 Goldie Rogers and Guys like that, man, you're working with them every night. All you got to do is shut up and listen. And I listened, and I shut up, and uh, I learned, you know. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's the way to do it. Now, a little bit after that, after 1988, I believe it was the early 90s, you ended up making your debut, so to speak, for the World Wrestling Federation, the WWF. What was your time like spent there? And I believe you actually ended up wrestling Roddy Piper at one point. Yes. Well, I went to Canada um, in uh, uh, 1990, and I, I worked all summer up there, uh, about 16 weeks straight, and I'd come home. To, the tour ended in September, and WWF was up here in um, near me, 
And the guy I had went to Canada with, was he went back to Florida, and I came back here for a few months. I wasn't going back to Florida until after the first of the year. And what happened was he got on some TV down in Florida, and he said, you know, hey, man, you ought to get on TV. They pay you real good, and, uh, you know, you just be doing a job, basically. Um, but uh, give him a call. So I had always, of course, I had always been, that's, I'd always been sending stuff in, even though I knew I wasn't, you know, ready to go. I sent stuff in to get my name out there. But what happened was they were about 30 minutes from my house, and uh, I got my gear, and I rode up there to the Civic Center in Huntington, West Virginia, and went in the back, and J.J. Dillon was there. I met him, and he brought me in and sent me down, and I told him where I had been at and who I'd been working with. And he had actually worked that territory in the late 60s. So he knew some of the guys and knew their families that had worked there. So he knew I wasn't bullshitting them, and he knew he trained me. But basically, he said, um, you know, here's the deal. You can't use your gimmick, and you can't use your, you know, your gimmick name. Uh, do you have a problem with that? And I was like, no, sir, I, I know what I'm here for, you know. And uh, I worked with uh, that night, so the night I first, that night I worked with Roddy Piper, and I had the blonde hair, and he was doing an angle with Ric Flair, uh, the chair matches with Flair, and uh, he said, hey, kid, you want to do this? And he gave me some ideas, and he got with Rick. And you know, I, I, that from there, we, just, we went out there. And, you know, of course, I had to put him over. I knew what I was there for. And I went in the back, and they paid me real good, and I couldn't believe it. And they said, hey, we're going to be uh, in Indiana and Ohio pretty soon. You want those bookings? So they sent me to Ohio and Indiana. I'd done some house shows and, and some uh, TVs there. And um, I was head, like I said, I was going to head back to Florida after the first of the year. And um, anyway, I uh, I let them know when I left the uh, either Ohio, Indiana, one of them. They'd done, you know, two or three days of TV tapings. And when I was getting ready to leave there, I said, hey, here, here, where are you, when can I come back? And um, they said, well, here's some dates in Florida. Because uh, that, or you, you, you mentioned you're going to be in Florida. And I said, yes, I'm going there after December 26th. And they gave me three dates in uh, Florida in January. And so I knew I was going to be there in Florida for at least a month. And so I took those dates, and um, to me, I knew what I was there for, um, job, as, enhancement, talent, whatever you want to call it, be a carpenter. Um, but, yeah, and what happened was I actually, um, so I'd done three more shows with them, and they had called and asked me to come to a couple more shows up in the Panhandle of Florida, and I, I, I actually said, yes, I'd be willing to do it, but what happened was I got a call within a day or two, to go to South Africa, and um, Ron Starr had called me. Um, a couple guys, the sheep herders, had uh, had uh, not not taken the tour. So Ron and I got booked on. It was about a thousand dollars a night, and I was going for uh, uh, three weeks. I was like, you know, I can't pass that up, you know. So um, I ended up calling WWE back or WWE at the time, and and just said, hey, I've got another booking, another another opportunity. So uh, I won't be at those tapings, and they said okay. And um, after that, I, I I stayed real busy when I came back from that tour uh, in Florida, and then I went to my second tour of Canada. So that kind of severed ties with me and WWF at that point. Um, and I never, you know, I never, I, I did talk to them several times since then, but that was the the last time I really was going to work work for them was then. Um, after my contract years later, my WCW contract expired. Uh, you know, I, I talked to him. We negotiated. It just didn't work out, and and that's just when the chips fall, you know. But uh, yeah, I, I had a pleasant uh, stay there. Hell, you're you're getting to go to these towns, and you're getting catered to, and you're getting national TV exposure, and you're getting paid to do something you love. Um, I, I I enjoyed it there, you know. Um, I had no problem doing what I was doing because uh, because I loved it. I loved the business, you know. And um, each guy I worked with, um, I worked with. Uh, Kerry Von Erich and uh, uh, Tito Santana and a few others. And hell, them guys are great guys to work with and um, um, easy, you know. And, again, you're getting TV exposure. I will say Mike Rotundo, you know, he's an All-American at Syracuse. I didn't do much against him. He he just pretty much chewed me up and spit me out. In fact, the, the version that aired on TV was highly edited. He beat me so bad. But, um <laughs> But that, that's what I was there for, you know. And uh, I, I think he was doing his angle with DiBiase then or whatever. So uh, uh, he had to do what he had to do. It wasn't personal. It was business, you know. And uh, I have no problem with doing business with anyone. 
especially in all America, Syracuse, and a guy can go like that, you know. <laughs> I don't oh, have yeah. too much to tell about it other than thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I can see that. I do not want another. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, a little bit, uh, you know, further on in your career, possibly, you know, not the most famous fight rap, but a very key moment in your career was when you went down and you worked for the legendary Jimmy Cornette in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Tell us about your time there and tell us about Jim. Uh, the thing about that is I had talked to Jim Cornette, and it took me nine months to get my start there. Uh, I was in Florida. Tommy Rogers was telling me, hey, Bobby, Jimmy started a territory. Uh, give him a call. I ran into Tommy at the gym, and uh, so I gave Jimmy Cornette a, a call, and he said, Bobby, you know, I'm, I'm not full-time right now, but I certainly consider using you. I've heard good things about you. Let's just see what happens. Well, that was our first, you know, time we spoke to each other. Well, a few months went by, and uh, I went to a Smoky Mountain show. I came back to the Kentucky area. Jimmy still wasn't full-time. He just had his TV deal, and uh, I sat down with him. Of course, I had sent him all my stuff, uh, pictures and VHS and all that, and I met him in person, and uh, he said, Bobby, I'm not full-time, but when I go full-time, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll consider using you, know, I've heard good things. So in the meantime, I went back to Canada. I went back to Australia. And the whole time I stayed in contact with Cornette because I really wanted to uh, to work for Smoky Mountain. As a matter of fact, um, um, I spoke to a guy in Australia that said, you know, here, won't you start with uh, – because I was over there with a bunch of guys, Jake Roberts and, and JYD and, and a bunch of guys that was on this Australian tour. And they said, you ought to go down here to Atlanta, and I think I can get you in. I said, well, I would, but here's the deal. I'm talking to Cornette, and I really want to work for his company, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I said, it's right in my area. I'll get to travel three or four or five nights a week, blah, blah, blah. But when I came back, Bobby Fulton, the other fantastic, he had used me on a show. He called Jimmy, and I was hired the next day. Uh, Robert uh, Gibson had hurt his ankle. Jimmy called me and asked me to come for a tryout. I tried out with Brian Lee. Uh, Mark Curtis and Brian Lee went in the back, and they said, Jimmy hired this guy. And uh, that day, Cornette said, Bobby, when I get something for you, buddy, you're hired. And about three weeks later, I got a booking sheet, and I started with him, got a couple of TVs, and he come up to me and said, Bobby, um, you know, you got another little gimmick that you want to do because, you know, we'll give you a little bit of push here. And I said, yeah, I've got these flames and, you know, some other other gear I didn't know if you want me to wear it or not. He said, bring it, let me see you. i got an idea for you. Cornette was nothing but professional with me. Um, uh, I got along with Jimmy. I think he had a, one of the greatest minds in the rest of the business. Hell, I still I still think he does. If he ran a company today, he'd no doubt flourish with it if he wanted to. Um, but uh, anyway, he sat me down, and, and we talked, and we had an idea what we was going to do with the character, you know, no quitting, and uh, just go out there and perform. And he said, I've got someone of mine I'm going to bring you in with for your first big loop. And I was doing loops with me when I wasn't on TV. I'd do some house shows because they are right in my area within a three or four mile rate a three or four hour radius. So I was working quite a bit for him. And then I was still working for Bobby Fulton, uh, in Ohio and West Virginia as a heel and I'd be down there for Cornette being a baby face, but we'd have T V up here in uh, the northern part of Kentucky and over in Ohio, so no one knew uh up here. Uh I was Bobby Blaze on T V, you know, in Smoky Mountain. And uh, of course that was right when the internet was just kinda taking off, I guess. But um, anyway, um, I stayed there from the time, like I said, after about nine months after he opened, I stayed there to the closing. And, uh, of course, they put the TV title on me four or five times to beat the champ. They put the junior heavyweight title on me with me and Candido going back and forth for that for, you know, eight or nine months. And then, of course, the big push came when he had an idea for me and Lawler to work together. And uh, Landell, long-term, you know, me and Landell White would be working for the title uh, after I went over on Lawler. So, you know, he, he's got a great mind. And uh, Jim, you know, he wrote the forward to my book, uh, Pin Me, Pay Me. Uh, he saw the manuscript, and he went through it. And he, he, he wrote me back and said, Bobby, this is, you know, here you go. And I, he, I could have asked anyone uh, better to write the forward to my book than Jim Cornette because he gave me my first break in the USA, if you will, as far as a big break for exposure and stuff. And, and then, uh, you know, Cornette and him, I didn't get rich, but, man, I got paid pretty good. The gimmick sales were great. Uh, the travel was easy for me because I was already in this area. So, yeah, I might uh, travel four or five nights a week. Um, and everyone, everyone I worked with, from guys that, that put me over on TV to the guys, you know, how I worked with Candido and, and Buddy Lindell and, 
And, uh, you know, sometimes I'll work with, uh, had to work maybe faces with guys like uh, Tim Horner or maybe I'd work Ricky Morton, uh, you know, guys like that. And then I'm working with Tony Anthony and anyone he brought in, man, I work with. Uh, and Dan Sabernese, and, you know, I, I work with everyone there, Tracy. So I had all kinds of talented guys around me to work with. That's what made it so fun. Uh, you get to go to work and, and, and wrestle guys that could actually work. It was it was easy. I mean, it's hard on your body to travel and the physicality of it all. But as far as what I've done and what we've done in the ring was easy because we all knew how to work. We knew how to get a response from the crowd. Um, it, it was a great territory. And the thing about that was the morale in the locker room was so good. Uh, Jimmy kept everyone up, you know, um, even if he was pissed off and, and he went on his tangents, believe me, you know, we've all had our arguments and hate and, and stuff like that. I'm not trying to paint the most prettiest of pictures, but, uh, uh, you know, as far as it goes overall, though, man, damn, everyone there wanted to be there. The guys that worked there wanted to be there, and we wanted to put asses in seats, and we had an audience, uh, whether it was 200 at a grade school doing a TV taping or whether it was 6,000 people at Knoxville Civic Coliseum or for 4,000 in John City, Tennessee, those people wanted to, to see us, and we wanted to perform for them. So it, it was a good deal. It really was. Yeah, and you just you touched on uh, kind of where I wanted to go with it. You actually hit everybody who I was thinking about and touched on where I wanted to go next, and that was the locker room because it was such a diverse group of veterans and guys getting their first shot. And if you were looking back at that time, who were the ones that stood out to you as being the guy, the veterans that were helping everybody along and those guys who were going to take that next step up? Well, my first loop, Robert Gibson had gotten hurt. So what happened was Tim Horner went and worked with Ricky Morton, and they worked on top, and they brought me in for the first match. And what happened was Tom Pritchard would come down and work the, the opening match. So for the first two weeks, I'm in a ring every night with friggin' Tom Pritchard. How much better can I get than that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and and I didn't even talk to Tom. Didn't even talk to him. He was in another locker room, and I'd go to the ring. Cornette would come out there and manage him, and Hilda Brand or, or Mark Curtis would come to me and say, Bobby, you know, here's the deal. And uh, I knew what the deal was. And I'd go out there and work 10 or 15 minutes with t- uh, Tom every night, and then um, – I worked with a couple other guys. Uh, then one night they come to me, and Brian said, hey, Bobby, uh, once you're finished tonight? And I was like, well, I guess put Tom over. He said, no, you're not working with Tom. We brought you someone here to put you over. We, we'll start giving you that push we was talking about. And um, at first, I didn't, I didn't break out the Northern Light suplex right away. I said, just drop kick off the top rope spine. And uh, just so happened I knew who the guy was, a guy named Mike Sampson. I went out, went over on him. And um, when I showed up on TV, that's when um, Cornette and Tim Horner got with me and Sandy Scott and said, here, we're going with this junior weight title. What do you think? I said, I'm all for it. And that's when I started doing the Northern Lights, when I started getting a push. You know, I knew to break it out then because Dean had showed me that over probably a year before that. But to answer your question, um, you know, you had guys, there was, there was a little bit of animosity, guys like um, uh Tony Anthony, you know, he really, I think he really thought the Smoky Mountain Heavyweight title was his, and then Buddy Landau kind of thought it was his, because they lived down in that area, you know. But uh, they had no problem working with me or working with anyone else. But the uh, the morale was really, really good. And, the um, you know, you got a guy like Candido coming there, and then Tim Horner had to work with him. And, and like I said, then I worked with him. And then Killer Kyle was always working with me. Um, basically... What Cornette come to me and Chris said and said, go out there and work and work hard, and if no one can follow it, fuck them. You know, we'll we'll follow you. You should do your job. You know, um, don't worry about what the locker room says. Work your style, and, and, you know, so I think it was a matter of everyone, you know, I'd, you're in a room. That's, that's what's missing a lot today, though, guys. When you're in a car three or four hours with, with three or four guys or in a hotel room with a couple guys and you're talking, you know, you, you listen and you get that feedback each night. Um, I remember Robert Gibson, for example, one night him and I was rooming together. And he was like, you know what you and Tony are doing? This is, this is uh, you're giving them just a little bit too much and, and don't die. And uh, so uh, I was like, okay, well, the next night, you know, Tony gave me a little bit more. And it was a much better match, but, but Tony, uh, but Robert and Jimmy had told Tony, you know, hey, lighten up a little bit. Let Bobby get a little bit more on you, Tony. And, and he did. He had no problem with it. And he did, and it made the match that much better. Um, the same thing with uh, 
uh, Tracy's mothers and Ricky Morton. I said, I never forget this. Uh, Tracy's mother was at the gimmick table one day, and Tracy said, Bobby, stand right here, sell these pictures, you're getting over, blah, blah, blah. So he walked me right in a baby face, you know, Ricky, Robert, and Tracy just helped me right there. And then another time, Ricky Morton come to me, and this is a great advice, and, and, and everyone knows how over Ricky Morton is when it comes to selling. And Ricky says, Bobby, come here, I want to talk to you for a second. And I said, yeah, he said, here's what I want you to do. Watch the way I sell. He said, you're selling, but watch the way I sell. Get these people to believe in you, because they believe you, Bobby. They believe in you. You're from here. You talk like them. You know, get them to believe in you and, and watch my matches. And, of course, I always watch the matches. So little things like that, when Ricky Morton pulls you to the side and says, you know, watch, watch how I sell. I'd be done to say, well, I'm not listening to that, or I don't need to watch that. I watched every match, one, because I'm a fan, but two, because I wanted to learn. And, you know, uh, Cornette might throw out a line or two to me. He'll say, I'm not telling you what to say. Here's an idea of what to say. Here's where your character's at, you know. Um, so, but guys like Candido, even Killer Kyle that had been there, everyone knew when the Armstrongs would come in, you know, Scott and Steve, they knew. And then you got Boyle Armstrong as commissioner, and, of course, he's still working, too. And he's in a locker room in a baby face side, and he's sitting there saying, you know, Bobby do this, or, you know, hey, hey, talking to his own kids, you know, you guys, you got to do this tonight. So you got that morale booster right there, and you got a veteran like Bob Armstrong saying, guys, you know, even one night in, of all places, I remember this, LaFleur Tennessee, Sandy Scott come in the locker room, he pulled Buddy Landell to the side, and he said, Buddy, if you can't have a good match with Bobby tonight, you're getting your ass fired. Something's wrong. And, and we went out there and tore the house down. But Betty had been lazy the last two nights, and we'd done like a three- or four-day loop. And Betty had been kind of laying down on me. And, uh, and, and and everyone knows Betty knows that. I'm not browbeating him. I have nothing bad to say. The match was going rather slow. He was stalling, didn't want to do this and do that. And and Sandy was tired of seeing it. I think Jimmy and him was up in New York at the time with the bodies. And uh, so, yeah, um, Betty took it the right way. And he, he's like, Bobby, Sandy got on me. Let's tear it down tonight. And we went out there. We worked the main event. And I'm not saying a five-star match, but by God, we tore it down because Buddy got on his bicycle, and he started moving, 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 and I'm out there moving, 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 and we got him a heck of a good match. But sometimes it takes that. Um, you know, Buddy put me over right here in my hometown for the title one night, and uh, Sandy Scott came up to me after the show, and he said, Bobby, who caught that finish? And I said, Buddy came up with it. He said, my God. He said, man, that was a heck of a finish. I said, give the credit to Buddy. He came up with it. He said, he made you look like a million bucks with that finish. And it was a simple finish. Uh, but it basically, I, he had the gimmick. I kicked him, dropped it. I nailed him with it and blah, blah, blah. And anyway, it went over so good. You know, you had about four or 500 people. They, they come up out of the seat at the finish of the main event, and that's what you're after, you know. So, again, yeah. um, to, just so you didn't think I was browbeating Buddy or anything, People do lay down sometimes, and he had been laying down a couple nights, and, and, and Sandy got him up. There's a veteran. So you got you got guys like Sandy and Jimmy and, and Bullet talking to veteran guys about picking up their game, but the same token talking to guys like me and Candido and, and, and guys like that saying, you guys got to step it up too, you know. So it was a combination of all that working together. And Mark Curtis, I probably can't say enough about him because he's relaying it all. He's telling people this, and he's telling people that, and he's he's helping you get it together. You know, uh, here you go, right. guys, pick it up, slow it down. You know, time to go. Uh, or hey, how about this tonight? Giving you ideas. So he, it was all, it was it was almost like family. Um, you know, and it wasn't all rainbows and lollipops. You know, because it's not ballet out there. But we got the job done, and we got it done professionally because everyone was professional there. Right and now and uh, and you know definitely everybody was professional and it's you know of course well documented the relationship with Cornette and and what he had with Vince at that time and you mentioned Lawler coming down in the big cage match uh, was there any interest in the WWF in bringing you in after Smoky Mountain closed? Um, actually, yes. Uh, Cornette had got a hold of me, and if you think back at this time period. Uh, you know, White Boy went as the plumber, and uh, that's when they started doing those. And then uh, even Tracy went as uh, Freddie Joe Floyd and those type things. Uh, my situation, Candido was there with uh, with Tom. And I actually went to uh, to a show, sat down, and met with a couple people. 
Um, I, I had trained. I trained with Sean Waltman, Xbox One Two Three Kid. Whatever he he was there, so he introduced me to some people, and and basically we talked. What had happened though? When Jimmy called me, I had already I had ran into Paul Orndorff um, in Atlanta, and he he saw me on a show, a little independent show, and he had talked to me about coming in there before. So when Smoky Mountain shut down, I went to Knoxville and I spoke to Kevin Sullivan. And Kevin, of course, was in uh, Smoky Mountain at the same time I was. Um, and I knew Kevin from Florida. I didn't know him that well, but I knew him from Smoky Mountain real good. So I went to Knoxville. I said, out Kevin. And he said, Bobby, if you want a job, we'll give you a job. And this is when WCW wasn't doing very good money. And they wasn't doing a whole lot of house shows, but they still had the TV tapings. And um, I said, oh, thank you, Kevin. That's great. He said, call Paul on Monday and tell him, you know, you're in. So I called Paul, and what happened was they had a couple of dates for me in WCW. And um, to make a long story short, during that time, they wasn't offering contracts. But I was talking to them about working regular because Scott and Steve Armstrong was working regular and making good money. So I knew I didn't necessarily need a contract, but I, but I knew I, wa- I wasn't in Knoxville any longer. I was back home, so I was made eight hours from Atlanta, so I knew I needed to make some pretty good money to travel that far. But what happened was Jimmy called me, and um, he asked me about coming to WWF at that time, and, and, and he said, I don't have any control as to what they'll do, whether you do a three-second squash or if you'll get to work. I remember his word. He said, hell, you might get to work with Al Snow or, or Shawn Michaels and do TV and go out there and tear the house down like I know you can. He said, but I don't have any control over that. He said, but I can get you a good payday every time we come around for TV, and we'll go from there. And I said, well, Jimmy, here's the deal. I'm already talking to Paul Atlanta. It's looking really good. What do you think? And Jimmy came back with some really good advice. He said, Bobby, I've always thought you'd be a good fit in Atlanta. He said, how serious are you and Paul talking? I said, pretty serious, I'd I like to think. He said, well, Paul is a straight shooter. I want you to call Sandy Scott when we hang up and ask him what he thinks. He said, but if, I, if I'm talking to Atlanta, that's what I'd do. So I didn't take He offered me two bookings, Cincinnati, Ohio, and Huntington, West Virginia, uh, to, to do a little trial with WWE, so I'd go WWF. Well, I didn't do it. I called Sandy, and Sandy said, Bobby, if Paul Warner was talking to you that serious, you know, don't, don't go up there and do the TV. They don't need to see you getting killed on New York TV. And he said, talk to Paul and make sure it's working out. And he said, because he's a straight shooter. And within a couple of weeks, uh, well, about four weeks, actually, because I went to Japan uh, two or three days after that. And when I came back from Japan, that's when Terry Taylor had called me, and they flew me in for my tryout match in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. So, um, so yeah, I won't say that I had a chance to go to New York to, to you know, be a star or nothing like that. But, yeah, I could have went back there. And then about three and a half years later, my contract expired. Kevin Kelly called me. And uh, I was actually getting ready to go to England. And um, he said, well, you know, Bobby, uh, we understand your contract's uh, up. We're interested in talking to you. Would you be interested in talking to us? And I was like, absolutely. And uh, I even spoke to him from uh, England a couple of times. The problem was, uh, at that time, they wanted me just to come in doing TV. And I was a little bit older. And I, had already, I was already going back to Japan after the England tour and this and that. And it just... It just I missed my window opportunity when they did offer it, uh, and I don't regret that. The first time was a really good business decision because I went to Atlanta for you know three and a half years working there, and then the second time it just wasn't the right opportunity because I was traveling so much and working already, um, and it's not that I didn't want to go back on New York TV or WWF TV. It wasn't that at all. I was making good money working overseas. And I had a family at the time, so um, New York wasn't necessarily offering me, you know, big money or a big contract. Or obviously, this conversation would go a little bit differently, you know. But um, I've, I've only talked to them that couple of times when I was talking to Kevin Kelly and, and Tom Pritchard and, and uh, Bruce and those people was was very minimum uh, minimal of conversations because uh, uh, I was actually staying pretty busy and, and I was pretty happy with what I was doing. Um, and, uh, yeah, I would like to have some more money and another big uh, contract or something like that. But, you know, that's just the way life is. Uh, to me, it's just an honor to even be considered to come up here and even go back and do some more TVs if that's what it took, you know. Um, just the opportunity didn't come up. Again, the third time it didn't come up, so to say. So, 
Now, did you enjoy your time down when you actually did go to WCW in 1997? Do you like it down there? Yeah, you know, um, yeah, it was a real honor to go down there because, um, you know, I got a big contract. There's more money than what I was making. It was about almost $20,000 more a year than what I was already making. And uh, I went and talked to Dean Malenko right away when Terry offered me my contract. He said, what are you making now? And I told him, and he said, what are you offer you? I told him. He said, well, you know what Dad would say. And I said, yeah. <laughs> so I went back and told Terry uh, I want the contract, you know, uh, because I was making real good money at that time, believe it or not, on independence. I was working three or four nights a week, you know, making two or $300 a night. And, you know, I was 50 months, plus going to Japan and, and England and things like that. So and, and money wasn't necessarily a motivating factor, but I had to make a living, you know. Um, but when I went to WCW, yeah, I was real happy at first. Um I got hired in and, and got a contract, and uh, I knew made about how many dates I was going to be working per year. Um, you know, I got to go to Disney or Universal and shoot, you know, ten days of TV at a time there, and and uh, most of the guys there, um, you know, it was all I said the word clicks. It was all your individual little groups of individuals, clicks, if you will, people. So and so hung out here. You had your Florida guys. You had your Minnesota guys. You had your top stars. You had the Japanese guys. It was um, it was enjoyable and um, it it was really good for about the first year and a half. And then things kind of went. They kept telling me, you know, you're gonna push. We're gonna do this deal with you on Saturday nights. You're gonna be Mr. Saturday nights back when Rob Van Dam was doing the Mr. Monday Night thing on Raw. And I was like, oh, that's great. And it seemed like every time. Something would go, well, we're going to put you on Nitro. We're going to do this. Every time something would come up and it just didn't happen, and uh, asked several of the guys there told me and said, hey, you got your check, didn't you? And every two weeks, FedEx brought me a check, um, you know, and it, Ted Turner had signed it, so I cashed it. And um, But, yeah, I had a good time. But after about a year and a half, it almost got to where you're just like, oh, man. when I, I'd fly home from Atlanta be home for eight hours and get a phone call and need me back in Atlanta the next day. And I'm like, I was just there. And and another hmm. time, you know, all the boys, was, we was all leaving Atlanta to go to Tampa and from Tampa to Salt Lake City. Well, he flew me from my home to, or from Atlanta to my home. And um, I didn't go to Tampa. So I had a ticket to Tampa, and I'm like, well, I'm not booked but, but I had a $2,200 ticket, you know, and then I, I decided to fly back from my home out to Salt Lake City, and it's like they spent the $2,200 on that ticket that they didn't have to, you know. So little things like that started coming up, and I, I think Jericho tells us where he got an empty FedEx pack at one time. Uh, you know, stuff like that happened. You'd get something, and I'd get a FedEx thing, and it'd be like, get some papers in it, and, and it'd it cost $25 <laughs> a mail to you. <laughs> you know, um, I had just gotten off the plane. I was probably just home a couple hours, and, and, and Paul was on the phone to me, like, Bobby, we need you here. And he, I had to go back to Rome, Georgia the next day, and I was like, I was just in Chattanooga, and Rome, Georgia and Chattanooga is about 75 miles apart, if I remember right. And I'm like, you know, Paul, I was just down in Atlanta. I could have got a room and, you know, stayed. He's like, well, we didn't know we had you on that show. We need you back. And, and of course, I went back, but you saw the wheels kind of falling off, if you will, of the wagon. Um, and, and I spoke with several people, you know, Arn and Jimmy Hart and all those guys were really, really good to me. Um, I have nothing bad to say about any of them, Terry Taylor, all of them. And I went and I spoke to a couple of them, and, and basically what it amounted to, some of those guys, they were just there trying to hold on to their jobs and their last check, you know, um, because they saw it too. They they saw it before I did, obviously. They knew what was going on. Something was going on. But uh, I went to a TV in Roanoke, Virginia, and I wasn't booked on it. And um, they flew me out to Roanoke, and I get there, and Jimmy Hart come to me like, Bobby, I don't have you on the car tonight. But, um, man, he, it was real windy. He said, these flights are getting canceled and delayed left and right. He said, can you just hang out, and if I need you, I'll use you. I said, Jimmy, I'm here. My flight's in. I'm here. Be more glad to hang out with you. And he said, i got to make sure he's got to get in here. And he was basically just saying, you know, Bobby, I'm just trying to help guys keep their job, man. That's all I'm doing. So, yeah, it started off really great. I always got my checks. And when I got released, I had one of those 90-day clauses in my contract. So they paid me for another three months after I got released. 
Uh, they sent me royalty checks after I was released, so they treated me great. Um, it's just that there at the end, when you when you love something so much and you see things happening, you can almost see the writing on the wall. You hate that, um, and you dread going around that because we had 150 guys on contract, and then you go to the building and you see about 75 guys, and then you see about 60 guys, and then you see about 50, and everyone's going so and so got let go, got let go, I got let go. And then finally, you know, I got my call from J.J., and they went from 50 to 42, so they let another eight of us go. Um, so, yeah, it was great. I had a fun time. I'd do it all again. But um, you just hate when something like that's happening because you see the demise all around you. And um, it's kind of sad because it, it, you, I think you need that competition, um, you know, with the TV and with the ratings and with the fans, the diversity of it all. But uh, from the insider's perspective, I loved it, had a great time, and uh, I loved the money, but I didn't do it for the money. Um, I did it because I loved professional wrestling. You know, uh, the money was just uh, just a part of it. Now, in WCW, obviously you were in a couple of the World War Threes. You ended up fighting Eddie Guerrero, Sid, Scott Steiner, Benoit, Norton, Vampiro, Hoovy, Kidman, Glacier. I mean, you you fought basically a who's who's list, and then throughout your career, you ended up fighting Dan Severin, Jerry Lawler, Buddy Landell. I mean, the list goes on and on. But I'm just very, very curious. What is, or what can you say would be your favorite match, or maybe even favorite matches? Oh, well, my probably one of my favorite matches is uh, with uh, Benoit. Um, we've done TV together, and we just went out and we just had a good match. I had been in Australia with Benoit, and there was a whole backstory I didn't even know until after a match as to what happened. But, uh, you know, I worked for Chris more than once, and I knew who he was. He knew who I was. And, uh, you know, he was real businesslike and real, real. I knew his style. He knew my style. And we went out there and had a really good match. Vampiro, uh, you know, I knew I could have a good match with Vampiro. In fact, he and I was going to do, was going to be one of the pay-per-views. And um, that fell through. And, and again, one of those broken promises. But um, he got to be on it, I think, with uh, maybe Jerry Jerry uh, Flynn. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, uh, Eddie Gray was uh, easy to work with. He was so easy and so smooth in the ring. And, uh, you know, he gave me so much in the match. Uh, you know, that, that was that was easy to do. With Benoit, you know, the, the second or third time we worked, he was getting ready to do a pay-per-view with uh, – I was Steiner or someone, and, uh, you know, the first it was 50-50, and someone come back and said, hey, Chris, make this uh, 70-30. And, uh, in fact, I think it was Jimmy Hardy said, hey, hey, Chris, make this 70-30. And, and turn around and walked away, and Chris was like, man, it's a fuck that's 50-50. Go out there and do what I told you. <laughs> so that was pretty cool, you know. But uh, mm-hmm. and, and Dean Malenko, I mean, just to be in a ring with Dean, of course, I didn't wrestle him in WCW, but I had wrestled him in Florida. He was just a machine. Um, you know, but uh, overseas, great Sasuke was great to work with, and Taka Michinoku, and, and Jensei, who was the, uh, uh, you know, uh, Angel of Darkness up in WWF, so, some of those guys. But, yeah, probably my favorite matches were against, uh, you know, Benoit. Uh, the Lawler thing was a whole big angle, so you couldn't go out there and do, you know, a big five-star match. You, you pretty much, we knew we was, what we were going to do, what we was going with it. So I had to kind of be the underdog, so to say, and couldn't do a whole lot. And that's fine because that's part of the program. But, um, yeah, Eddie Gray was a night off, but a pleasure to be with in the ring. Uh, been a while, you knew he was in a battle for your life, but uh, if you got through it, you was going to earn his respect, and uh, I certainly had that. Uh, you know, sadly, things have changed in that situation. I can't say the same, but uh, professionally I can. Um but, yeah, there's so many guys. Uh, man, Glacier, you know, I worked with Glacier three or four times, and he was one of the guys there that was regular when I got there. And, and, and Ray was just a great guy, and he'd always have a, you'd always, if you can't have, you'd have a good match with him really easy. Flash Norton, he was known for that big, strong, stiff style. And I wrote all about that match in Pin Me, Pay Me, because he came a lot from hot. He was hot at Ernest Miller over something that happened the night before on a pay-per-view. And I thought, oh, my God, he's going to come out here and kill me now. But uh, we actually had a very professionally worked match, and he took care of me and actually thanked me afterward for such a good match because, um, you know, uh, Steiner, that match, I don't know who put that on, uh, that's on YouTube. That's the one people refer to the most, but that was on a Thursday Night Thunder. And it was a set-up DDP for a, um, a hospital match, you know, uh, a stretcher match. 
So, you know, they caught, that was the that was the deal I was telling you about. They sent me out to to, uh, to Salt Lake City where they flew me home instead of flying me to Tampa. They flew me home to Salt Lake. That was because they wanted me to go out there and put Steiner over because they knew I could do the job. And so to me, that was an honor. That's the backstory right there. People see that on TV. They, that was on that was on Thursday Night Thunder. You know, all the people watching, millions of people watching that at home. Yeah, it, you know, I got beat, but, you know, what it was is part of something bigger. It was for the company and for the business for Steiner to go out there and put me on a stretcher and, and because he was getting ready to do a pay-per-view on that Sunday with DDP. So everything has a meaning to it. Um, but, but all those guys, man, I didn't have a problem with any of them. Uh, some of the guys thought Steiner, you know, knocked my head off in the back. They were waiting for me, like, Bob, are you okay? But he took care of me, man, you know. Um, and, and because of the respect factor of being a professional, uh, that's the only thing I contribute to is good training, knowing how to protect, take care of myself and protect myself, but also being professional and, and going out there and doing what you're asked to do and um, helping people out, paying it forward, if you will, pin me, pay me. I knew I was going to get my check. Uh, I'll go to the next damn town, you know. <laughs> you don't want to fly me home, don't fly me home. Fly me to the next town, or I'll drive to the next town, and, and I'll put you over again. <laughs> <laughs> and before we get into your plugs, which, you know, we definitely want to get to, though we usually say what's your lasting legacy, but your legacy is pin me, pay me. What would you say about the book for somebody getting into the business to take a look at in, in the book? I would say if you're getting into the business to buy the book because it has all kinds of different things in it about a difference between a promo and an interview, um, you know, difference of how to work as a face and how to work as a heel. Um, it's got a, a, a wealth of knowledge in it to anyone that's looking to get in the business because you'll actually see I actually got trained. And so many people nowadays think, oh, I'm a professional wrestler. I went to one training session or I know so-and-so they got me in and they'll work for $5 or they'll work for – and I put this in there. People go out here nowadays and they work for a you know cold hot dog – Stale popcorn and a, and a flat soda pop, and they taught herself professional. No, you're not. You're a hack, and you're killing the business on a local and independent level. And I put all that in there so you'll see that, you know what, I just didn't show up in Smoky Mountain Wrestling and, and, and get a job there and start getting a push there. It's just like we talked about. It took nine months before Cornette hired me, but I persisted. Hell, there was a hundred other guys trying to get in that company. I got in it because... I stayed in contact, and I wanted to work there, and Cornette wanted me there. The same thing with WCW. I was making killer money there, and, and I knew what I was there for. I, I agreed to that contract what I was doing. And so I don't take any shame in saying, oh, yeah, Scott Steiner, I went out there and got beaten four or five minutes. I went on the match. Well, it was for a bigger picture of things. So it has to be with, you know, I would say being persistent, setting goals, being persistent, um, that's the whole thing right there, being persistent and, and, and loving what you do. If you don't love it, don't do it. If you love it, do it and do it some more. Um, and just overcoming the adversities of life. Uh, uh, since I've written that book, you know, I've lost both parents. I've been through a divorce. Uh, uh, I've raised two teenage boys on my own. And uh, you can do it. You can overcome these things. And, and I have a lot of health problems right now, but I get up every day and I try every day. And like I said, I'm working on a second book, you know. Um, that's just the story of my life, and that's what Pin Me, Pay Me is. Uh, it's a business. It's a work. And if you're getting paid, uh, and I went over uh, a lot. I mean, on independent shows and, and over in Japan and Australia when I was getting pushes and stuff, but, you know, um, I worked on that for the second book because this book is Pin Me, Pay Me, so I, I worked on that aspect of it from that angle that, you know what, Pin Me, Pay Me, I'll go to the next town, and, uh, you know, I got my boots, I'll travel. Um, like I've told other people, I told Cornette, he laughed at it because he heard it a million one times, but I said, Jimmy, I was looking for a job when I got this one. If you're saying i got to go, i got to go. And then, and I might go, and uh, I did go. And then two days later, we're on the phone to each other. Hey, Jimmy, I got heat. He goes, no, baby, I need you on TV on Tuesday. And I'll be, I'll be there, you know. But uh, uh, I need to put that conversation in the next book. Um, but, yeah, things like that happen. 
Um, you can't go to your everyday job and tell your boss to go F himself, and then he call you back and say, I need you on TV on Tuesday, you know. But uh, <laughs> that's just the way. Jimmy and I, I, I've held back on my language. I'm really impressed with myself. That's why I asked you. I can't oh, a whole lot. <laughs> no problem whatsoever. Yeah. But before – I'm sorry, we're – no, I was just going to say, it's, it's, it's close. Cornette's got a great mind for this business, and I'll never touch him as far as that goes. But it's a, it's a close rating on who, who drops more F-bombs and GDs and Tesla's between me and him more. So I've held back some. But that's the way Jimmy and I spoke to each other a lot of times. There was a lot of respect and admiration there for each other. But, but you know, he might say F you, Bobby, and I might say F you, Jimmy. But, you know, but if they were shaking hands, we're ready to go out there and do business because we had a professional relationship to do business, you know, and it wasn't the heat we had was real small stuff that we could always laugh about afterwards, because I can honestly say I've never had a serious heat with Jim Cornette, or I would have stayed there for over three years, you know, so yeah, uh, yeah, uh, that's just life. Well, Bobby, this has been so much fun, just tell us where uh, where we can find you for any kind of uh, Bobby Blaze information. Yes, okay, well, on Twitter, which I'm on a lot these days, is uh, Bobby Blaze. 744, so it's at Bobby Blaze 744. On Facebook, there's a fan page. It's Bobby Blaze uh, Athlete. It's a fan page. And then I'm on Bobby Blaze Medley on Facebook. Bobby Blaze Medley, uh, just like the title of the book, is Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boost Which I Will Buy. And that's my name, Bobby Blaze Medley. Hit me up on Facebook. Let me know you heard the show. Um, I'm on Facebook twice a day, once in the morning, once at night. I'm on, I'm off. But I'm on Twitter throughout the day. Um, just observing life like everyone else does and, and putting stuff about ball games and sports and books and all that. So it's Bobby Blaze 744. Uh, Bobby Blaze Spedder on Facebook. If you go to Amazon, I have my own page on Amazon. It's under Bobby Blaze Spedley. It's, it's, it's an author page. And right there is where the book's at. You can download it if you've got a Kindle. If you don't have a Kindle, you can get the free Kindle app on any tablet, cell phone, computer. And then you can download the book, or you can go right to the Amazon website and buy the book. In fact, they've got it on sale right now for $12. And uh, if you go there, leave me a review. Um, let me know what you thought of the book. And um, hit me up. Let, let people know you, you heard me on the show. And, and um, you know, anything I can plug for you guys in the future, please write me on Facebook, write me on Twitter, and say, Bobby, we need you to plug this. And I put it on my fan page. I'll tweet it out to everyone. I'll, you know, I'll do whatever I can. I try to keep a real strong uh, presence on uh, social media. So uh, uh, anything that you can hit me up with, I'll be more than glad to plug for you guys too. Because it's always an honor and a pleasure to get to do things like this. Because if it wasn't for the fans, and I, I listen on Sundays, I listen to all the podcasts myself, and I listen online when I play them back. Um, it's all for the fans, man. They get to hear some of the inside stuff and the inside scoops, you know. And um, go out and buy Pin Me, Pay Me, have Boostable Travel from Amazon or download it or hit me up on Facebook at Bobby Blaze Medley or Twitter at Bobby Blaze 744 and let me know you heard me. And uh, just, you know, obviously I'd like to talk, talk to me. We'll talk wrestling. All right. Saturday, December 5th, WWE Hall of Famer, Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff comes to Collector's World in Annandale, Virginia. For more information, please visit collectorsworldva.com and pricing starts at only $25. That's WWE Hall of Famer, Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff, Saturday, December 5th, 2015 from 11.30 to 12.30 at Collector's World in Annandale, Virginia. Visit collectorsworldva.com for more information because it's going to be absolutely wonderful.